0: things just started to click, you know, they just started to fire in your brain, you know, when that happens, and it just kind of all intertwined in my head and I just, I couldn't wait to get it out.
1: I do know when that happens, that flow and that connection are so rare and so important. You may contribute a verse. I'm Josh Munkin, Children's Lit author, father, science communicator and podcaster, joined by Brenna Jenneret, Children's Lit author, mother, avid climber and outdoors person and podcaster also. This is the podcast You May Contribute verse, where we talk to kidlit creators, share their stories and learn from their journeys. Debuts and layers and parallels, oh my, today's conversation is with author Moni Richie Hadley, whose debut story is The Star Festival, published by Albert Whitman this year, 2021. The Star Festival is intergenerational, intercultural, loving, layered, and a little cheeky, a story of connection and caring. Moni is an educator and writer, a self-described half-Japanese military brat who came up balancing Japanese and American cultures and daydreaming, which I find to be one of the most useful skills for picture book writing I could think of. The Best of Us comes from a place of personal connection and passion, even if we don't recognize it at first. We'll save the details to be revealed during our conversation, but Moni's experiences with bringing the Star Festival to life remind us to keep our minds, eyes, ears, and heart open so that the world can sometimes steer us in the right direction. Happenstance is a funny thing. Not only is the Star Festival Moni's debut picture book, but also Bren is in my first recorded author interview after partnering up, which is also a result of happenstance and keeping eyes open for opportunity. Speaking of keeping eyes open, let's hear more about how Keiko keeps her eyes open for her obasan. Here is Moni Ritchie Hadley's verse.
2: And so we're talking about her book, The Star Festival, which I just got from the library the other day. Dude, Moni, it's so good. I was so excited to read it. And then I saw your picture on the back and I was showing my husband and my son. I'm like, that's my critique partner. Like, I know her. And they were like, that's really cool. Like, I was like, I know. Um yeah. So anyway, so the Star Festival, so written by Moni Richie Hadley and then illustrated by uh, Miz- Mizuho Fujisawa. So yes. I think that's right. Okay. I just wanted to give credit to the illustrator too. Um, and then published by Albert Whitman in just 2021, right? So it's, yes. it's like very new. And that's your debut book, correct?
0: It sure is.
2: Yeah. Okay. And then So I guess the first question I wanted to ask was just what, you know, how did you get into writing? Like, what is your background a little bit? And then, you know, how did you how did you come to write the Star Festival?
0: Well, I guess, you know, if we go way back, I've always um, been kind of a creative. I've done different things, you know, a little bit of acting, a little bit of music. And then I, I played in. Um, bands for like almost 10 years. And then when my daughter was born, you know, that lifestyle just like went out the window. I couldn't be stayed out till two in the morning anymore. So um, I just needed another outlet, you know, and, and it was just a very natural progression because um, I was reading her books. And I just love, um, you know, putting all these huge emotions and um feelings and everything into a small amount of words um and that's kind of essentially what you do with songs too right you don't have a a lot of room to write these long long verses so so yeah so i started writing when she was about uh three i guess it was so that would be 2007 2006 2007 yeah so a long time it took yeah wow years (laughs)
1: Did you write your own music, Moni? Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How do you find writing music versus writing picture books?
0: I guess the experience is um, really different just because, you know, writing music and being in a band, it's there's so many personalities to, you know, you're constantly Mm -hmm. um, trying to. You know, there's there's that balance between doing what you want and having other people um, contribute to a song, right? It's kind of like being in the marriage with four people, (laughs) being in a marriage with four people, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was fun for me also because you you start without a seed of an idea, and then you know, with books, you you get critiques and you keep changing and changing. But with um, songs and and playing music, a lot of times that happens more immediately when you're in a room with somebody, you know, and that it's fun to see how that develops too.
2: that immediate feedback sounds like really nice in a lot of ways, you know what I mean, because I feel like Josh and I were talking before you came on just about, you know, keeping, keeping your draft straight, and then like trying to keep up with critiques or like, sometimes I'll send out a manuscript for critique, and then I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And by the time that critique comes back, it's been however long in between. And I've already revised it, you know, like several times, because I just can't, you know, like, I can't sit on it. If it's if I know there's an issue, I'm like, Oh, shoot, okay, like, let me brainstorm, right. And so it's like, hard to sort of keep up with that but like you're saying with music it might be really nice to have it be like oh this is what I've got like what do you think and it's like okay well this is sort of an issue let's like you know go off on this tangent and see how that works so that actually sounds like really helpful like you could do a lot more you could be a lot more productive in that way
0: Yeah. And I know what you're saying about, you know, with the manuscripts, because that happens to me too. Like as soon as I get feedback, or like two people give me their feedback, I'll, I will start working on it right away. But sometimes the the ones that trickle in maybe, you know, a week later, they're helpful too, because you can still be stuck on a Uh, on a problem and have, you know, maybe you haven't found a way to resolve it yet. And so the the feedback comes in later and, and sometimes, you know, they say it in just the right way that kind of clicks with you.
2: What was the, what was the inspiration for, for the star festival? Was that something that you grew up with or is the, or was it, you know, stories you had remembered?
0: Yeah, well, you know, it was really the first um, story that I, I wrote about my, the, my Japanese side. Because before then, I, I just started writing actually a lot of concept books and very minimal word worded books. Um, that's what I was inspired by. And then that's what I started writing. So um, for years, I did that. <laughs> years, years, I did that. And it, uh, when I retired from teaching, I took a class at the Children's Book Academy, and it was a character-based class. And you know, with concept books, you don't always have a, a fully developed character; it can it can be many things. But um, and then and then, how does character drive plot? Well, I I had started a few um, started to work on a few of my stories in that class, and I was like, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And so I pulled out um, a manuscript. It was very simple. Parallel story between um, a, a girl and her grandmother, which was inspired by my mom coming to live with me, and um, kind of the similarities between raising a toddler and taking care of an elderly person. Um, and and I decided to work on that story. And through critiques and um, certain, you know, things I was learning in the story, I thought, okay, well. I need to put more layers into the story. And I had just been to the summer conference that year too. And somebody was talking about that. Like, how can you, how can you reach more than just one audience with this particular book? So, um, so I started, I started to add more layers to it and I had a a pretty um, helpful critique by uh, an editor and she she asked me, well, what festival are you talking about in this book? I had changed. Originally, Oba gets lost in a doctor's office, which was not that exciting, you know, because I was, I was taking, you know, you take kids to the doctor a lot. You take, Elderly people to the doctor's lot, so that was my concept, and then so I changed it to a festival. I thought, okay, that'll be more fun. She's like, well, what festival is it? (laughs) I had no idea. I just hadn't thought that far, and then that's when I thought, oh, well, I had attended so many as a kid, and I just had this general idea. Okay, there's parades and cotton candy and fireworks, and I don't know, it's just a festival. Um, So I. I, I had to research because I attended so many in Japan as a kid and I had no idea what I was celebrating. You know, it was just something we did with my cousins and had a lot of fun and, um, you know, wore kimonos and, <laughs> you know, lit fireworks and little sparklers. And um, so I had to research and pick one. And when I did that, you know, just a flood of memories came back and I started to identify, oh, we were celebrating this holiday or this holiday and my mom helped me a lot with that. And, um, yeah. And then so I picked the star festival because it was beautiful and colorful and you know, all the streamers. Um, yeah. And, and, and then, and then when I read the history of the festival and, um, the folklore that went along with that, I, it just, things just started to click, you know, they just started to fire in your brain, you know, when that happens. Um, and yeah. I, and I started thinking about my story and the the story of the festival and it just kind of all intertwined in my head and I just, I couldn't wait to get it out. So that was the beginning the, of that.
1: Yeah. It's so funny, the parallels between the star festival being, festival being hinged on, um, apart and together, is the same theme that you're exploring with the, with the um, Oba and the child character or you and the, you and your mom characters in the book being apart and together. Was that intentional as well?
0: I think, I think that just sort of happened. I mean, when I, I I couldn't verbalize it at the time, no, It, it, but I know the connections were being made because the story started to like quickly develop in my mind. And, um, and now, you know, when I write, it did change the way I write because now when I write, I I am more purposeful about finding, um, you know, when I have two different concepts about finding the similarities and you know looking at the metaphors and and the symbolism and and that sort of thing. And I and I didn't I never did that before, so I could see my I could see my growth um, within that story. Um, that that course was um, pretty key for me. Um, and now, of course, in Storyteller Academy, um, you know, t- taking Jim Averbeck's class, he has a whole other technique. And that has helped me incredibly, too, because um, he he does a lot of pre-planning. You know, he'll they create books from just an idea like that they they're purposeful. And I'm going to write a book and I'm going to, um, um, you know, put a bunch of ideas on a paper and and they go from there. Right. Have you, have you taken that class? I'm taking
2: it this semester, actually. And it's, yeah, it's, it's so good. Like some of his tips. I'm just like, these are like secrets of the industry. Like you're telling people this, like, that's so helpful. Like some of the, like, like his hierarchy of revision is like eye opening. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could be so much better at my critiques, you know, like, and Not only my critiques, but also like my own writing. Like if I take that and apply it to my own and be like, okay, does it have a story arc? Is there a beginning, a middle and an end? Like, just some stuff that you, you inherently know, but you don't think about like you don't break it down that way. Yeah. And him talking yeah. about the assignment that they do. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? That that's incredible. Like how many books have come from that? Like 12 exactly. or something. And then they're all on like bestsellers list. I'm like, this is incredible. Like I am always going to work from like the, like the point of view of the assignment, you know, and like move forward from that. Like, that's all I need. Like I'm done. Storyteller teller Academy. Thank you. Like, you know.
0: Yeah. They so, create an assignment and then they develop stories from that. And I, and I don't really use that technique. I, I usually have an idea first, but then all his pre-planning, I, I've incorporated some of that into my writing because I find that if I if I do research first and I start to look at parallels between words or phrases or ideas, then I I my head is so much more full of information that I and tools that I can just use as I start to write my first draft. And my first drafts have become better um, since taking that course. Totally, Th- just thinking episode- about doing any research.
1: Was this episode brought to you by Storyteller Academy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> classes yeah, are totally. I, I'll plug any class because classes right. motivate me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're so good. They're so good. But yeah, just doing any kind of research is because I was like, I I don't have to do research for a kid's book, right? Like it, this is just like my own imagination. Like I could just write whatever I want. But then like as soon as I started doing that, people were calling me and stuff, and they're like no, wait a second. I don't think that blah, 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 you know, would happen in real life. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Let me check. Like that could, that could happen inside research. I'd be like, Oh shoot. Okay. I probably should start with actual research. You know, like if I'm going to start somewhere, that's really helpful, you know, like just start from the basics. And then like Jim says, stuff starts to click and you're like, Oh, this would be a great idea for a story. And it like takes off from there. So it's yeah. And actually, so that reminds me, bringing it back to your story and your, the layers that you put in there, I love how mischievous the grandma is like it's not over the top but it's like just enough that you're like oh my gosh she's so she's so endearing and then I feel like it really um it really captures like the essence of the star festival too like these two lovers that came together and they just like were so into each other that they never got anything else done that's also like kind of mischievous you know so they had to like keep them apart like all year long except for this one night they got to like you know, get together and do whatever they wanted. It's like, it's so perfect. Like, I love the grandma
0: character in there. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of based on my mom. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
1: Was there, was, was there in the choice of going with the star festival, which I mean, we're talking about a lot of parallels between the characters in the star festival and your characters in the story. Was there any consideration to like having to narrow a focus for the book? I think about that in terms of like what we think of as Western Christian holidays. If you have any hint of Santa or Christmas in your story, it's going to get pigeonholed by publishers potentially as a, like a Christmas style book. I know the star Festival is maybe not to the same level, but was that a, was that a thought in the editorial process, publication process, or did that have any sort of factor for you?
0: Um, Not, not that I know of, I think um, because there are, other levels to the story it kind of works in its favor because at that time especially they were um you know publishers were looking for own voices story and so I thought well you know I could write an own voices story and, and like I said it was a first um, Japanese themed story that I had written um So I tried it. And so originally, the story that I started with, um, you know, it was basically kind of one dimensional, it was a multi generational story concept, sort of. Um, So I think I was listening to Alan Johnston from Beach Lane speak at the summer conference, and she was talking about, you know, putting layers into your story. And I think that's something to think about because, you know, for marketing purposes, the publishers do look at that, right? And we don't want to think about that as writers, we just want to write the story we want to write. But it is important because your first customer is to try to sell this book to the publisher, right? Um, so, so then so now, you know, if we look at the Star Festival, it's multi generational, it's based around a holiday, but it's not it's not just a story about the holiday, there's it's also a story in there and it's set in japan which um, adds a cultural and educational component to it so i think it works on on many levels i agree with you thank you (laughs) (laughs) um so
2: moni how many drafts do you think it took you to get to the point where it was like polished and ready to go and then i guess like sub question once you started querying it to editors did you work with them on more changes or was it mostly polished before you submitted?
0: I, I, would, if I had to guess, I would say there was probably around 30 drafts, you know, it's, it's hard to say what's mm-hmm. a draft. Sometimes you tweak little things and, you know, is that a new draft? I don't know. Um, but, but it went through two, I mean, it's like I said, like you wouldn't recognize the original story, the the original story and the draft that it, the story it became, Um, What has what it has in common are the characters and, you know, a tiny little detail, maybe Oba's toothless smile. And, you know, they both had toothless smiles or something like that. I love that line. It was so good. Everything else changed. So um, but I would have to say about 30 altogether. And that includes the editor's um, changes. And she did have... um, the story changed a lot after the editor's um comments but she did have certain um parts of it that she wanted to bring out and highlight or certain little parts that weren't working she really helped um, um like like i'll give you an example the the page where um she she says i always do my chores right and and you see the futon in the back and it's a mess right um she was saying you know she kind of asked me to bring that that aspect out a little bit you know to I I forget the exact note but um that was one of them
2: yeah it's a it's a line about pajamas right she's like oh well you always pick up your pajamas is that true or something like that and it's yeah you can see them in the back yeah I thought that was so good because it's yeah it's smart because then it appeals to the kids as well but then like star festival like that's interesting for adults like so i i lived in japan for three years and reading your book like really brought back a lot of that like some of the words and just like Obasan and um uh kiko chan like all of that because i taught i taught little kids for a year as well so it was all like those those you know hyphens at the end where like we use this all the time um and it was just it it brought back a flood of memories for me too cuz the the ceremonies and the holidays and just like the festivals like it it was so well done but it's also like that i feel like that doesn't like the the colorfulness and the fireworks and all the festivities really appeals to kids but then the actual like history of it or the culture and the background story is more for you know like adults can really get into it that way too so it was like two really solid entries into the story and then they they kept going like you're saying with the layers which I feel like that's that's just so hard as a writer to do that, you know, to get both of those, you know, to get the layers in there and solidly and sort of like woven together so expertly. Like it's such a struggle. So yeah, yeah, my mom didn't.
0: My mom didn't even know the um, history of the festival. I think. Oh, interesting. And other um, Japanese people that have read it have told me like I never knew the story. You know, so that's yeah, interesting.
1: Do you have or are there any conversations around translations?
0: Um, I don't know if that's happening. I I asked a long time ago if that, or somebody asked me and I, I, I don't know. I don't know when or if that happens.
1: I I ask. I mean, on, on one hand, because it's a cross-cultural book and like you, like you just said, you're, you are even potentially, um, educating native Japanese folks on the nature of this festival. Um. It's something that is such a concern for, like, unagented, unpublished folks to consider what it might look like if it was translated into another language, whether it would sound the same, if that was part of the process for you during publication, or if this was, like, laser-focused on, let's get it in English, let's make this the story that we want to be, and we'll worry about that, we'll worry about adapting later, if we need to.
0: That wasn't even part of the conversation.
1: That's interesting yeah
0: and i and honestly i'm having um there's you know a local japanese store kino kuniya and it's they they have a they're kind of like a chain throughout the u.s there's only a few of them i'm i am having trouble even getting it into that store i don't know how to do it (laughs) somebody help me um i (laughs) um i i actually sent my local one a copy um this was during the pandemic um when everything was closed down and um and asked also if anybody knew who the buyer was and and nobody has a contact and and then i went in there and i asked the buyer and they kind of didn't want to tell me they they squeaked out a first name but i i don't know <laughs> um yeah it would be lovely if they carried the book but um i don't know that they are yet
2: huh that's so interesting i wonder why they're so squirrely about it you know like I don't know local author and yeah interesting. Maybe they
0: maybe they just get inundated by people saying, "Carry my book," you
2: know. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. (laughs) So, when you were querying this book, did you query editors and agents, and then it just so happened to be picked up by an editor at Albert Whitman, or did you go straight for the publisher and kind of skip the agent?
0: Well, what happened was I was only querying agents. So I was really focused, hyper-focused on getting an agent. So, um, you know, I didn't want, there's, you get different advice, but I didn't want to kind of, you know, muddy the pool and um, um, have have a manuscript out there at a publisher's house when I really wanted to get an agent who would help me in that process. So mm-hmm. I only queried agents for the most part. Um, but then what happened is this in this course that I took, Um, different agents and editors were part of the learning process and they were teaching certain components. And at the end of the course, you got to submit a pitch. So everybody who is um, a participant in the course, um, all the industry professionals, um, looked at the pitches. And I got got an invitation to submit from the editor, from Albert Whitman, um, Christina Pulis, and um, an agent also. And the agent didn't work out, but the publisher did. So she was the. It was the only publishing house, Albert Whitman, that had it at the time. <laughs> so, so that's okay. I yeah. Oh, interesting.
1: Did you ever end up getting interest from the formal query process?
0: Um, interest from agents. Um, right. Yes, I would say. Before I took the class, there were there were a couple um, agents that requested more work. You know, that's a whole other process. And um, but that didn't pan out at the time. So. So, yeah, so the publishing um, interest happened before.
2: And so you recently did get agented, which is super exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Do you guys have, do you guys have anything in the works? Like, are you working on something that is about to go on submission or are you sort of just in the editing phase or how is that going?
0: Yes. She's sending out, um, um, Sarah Stevens from Red Fox Literary is my agent and she's sending out a story and I am also working on another story, um, that with an editor and I can't, Say much, too much about it yet because it's not a it's not a sure thing yet. But I'm hoping for good news sometime soon. Yeah. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah.
2: So wait, so you're working with your agent on on those projects, and then you also are separately working with an editor. So you have an agent and an editor separately that you're working with.
0: Um, this one, this one came to me as a work for hire. So I'm, oh, okay. I'm working on a work for hire and. Um, my agent is helping me with that process too, but she is sending out, um, you know, another story of mine also. Oh, so, very cool. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, like I said, it's not a sure thing yet, so I can't, um, talk too much about it, but I'm, I'm hoping, you know, to, that it'll lead to an announcement at
2: some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. That's exciting.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, we'll see if we can add to this episode. <laughs> if this comes out by the time whatever, whatever you're able to talk about, you can. Um, do you, Was it a conversation with your agent around the nature or theme of your work as a whole? Or is that something that you think about? You've got Star Festival out in the world. Do you think about how that's going to look um, like alongside other things that you've written that may be thematically different?
0: Yes. I've thought about that a lot. You know, um, people talk about author branding. Mm-hmm. So, and I and I don't really have a, a good answer for that because um, I, you know, so I've, I've kind of got my foot in the door with my Japanese stories, but I have a ton of stories that I've written that aren't Japanese themed. And, um, you know, before I signed with Red Fox, I, I got a couple, you know, I, I had some interest by some agents and then, okay, what three stories do you send them? Do I send them all Japanese stories? Do I send them a mix? And mm. I didn't really know. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I felt like, um, you know, if, if people took you on as a, a certain type of writer or author, they wanted you to have that, you know, that branding like you're that's what you're about and all about and I don't know about for sure that was my feeling about it Um, but when I when I before I signed on with Red Fox I decided to send um, just a collection you know some Japanese themed some some not um, because that's really who I am I am mixed I am half Japanese and um, and half uh, white I guess if you will. And um, so, so that's what I did, and it just resonated um, with her. But I will say that the story that got got the attention was a Japanese theme story. The one that because um, what happened is um, I submitted to Karen grensick through a conference, and she she referred me to Sarah within Red the House Red Fox. Oh. And that was a Japanese is that, story. Mm-hmm.
2: Is that the one that I read recently?
0: Yes, you've yes,
2: yeah. The, the one that I could, yeah, you, okay. You
0: all of them that I sent to her. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, awesome. I was actually going to ask because you know there's so much talk about voice and what is your voice and you know what do you want to put out there and it's like so hard to find your voice which is kind of a crazy thing because like why is it so squirrely right like I I am who I am I know you know I I know what I'm trying to say so why is it so hard to pin it down it's like infuriating so I guess I was I was just going to comment on the fact that you know like you I feel like your voice is very strong in your other pieces too because I've had the you know I've been able to read your other stuff because we've been critiquing for a while um but like you have you have a specific voice and it's not just a Japanese voice so it's nice to have that sort of range to pick from I feel like like I'm still trying to hone in on you know what my voice is and when you say like oh should I you know should I send my Japanese stories or should I send my other stories should I send a range and my my thought is like oh okay should I send my ridiculous story or my ridiculous story okay like I guess I'll send them both and see you know see what happens but hoping that it's sort of like a like the voice actually comes across because it's really hard to sort of um, condense that down. I guess is what I'm is what I'm getting at. But I feel like, um, yeah, I just I feel like your voice is pr- is pretty strong in what I've read, and so um, it's just an interesting topic for me. I guess talking about
0: voice—that's <laughs> all. That's yeah, it, up. it is. And you know, I when I was um, the first few years I was writing. I I don't know if you can pinpoint it. Like you, you'll hear different people talk about what what makes you know voice or how to find your voice, but it really comes from just writing a lot. I feel like you know, just keep writing new manuscripts, new manuscripts, and slowly it just sort of develops. You know, you start to see, oh, I'm I'm this and not that, and I'm this and not that, and I'm. It's interesting because I'm you know, like I said, I'm starting the illustration process also, and. I'm a total beginner at that. And I'm going through the same process. Like, how do I find my voice? I can't, I can't even, mm-hmm. I can't do it. You know, like not right now, I just, there's no way. I'm trying to decide between, um, you know, which mediums do I like to work in and and I'm developing my skill level. And I'm, you know, I, just all these factors and I can't, I cannot pinpoint it. And it makes me crazy and I'm so frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> and I quit last week for two days. <laughs> and I picked it back up again, and um, and and it's driving me crazy because I I I know I know what I like when I look at other people's work, you know. But my skill level is not there yet, so I'm trying to find something that works for me at my level and something that I like. And and yeah, it, it's just driving me crazy. I think it just takes time and it's going to take a lot of me practicing and doing different pieces of work. And, and then I'll find my voice, you know, so well, it's, I'm,
1: yeah, I'm curious what's behind the illustration. I mean, I've, I've got aspirations to illustrate too. And I used to draw as a kid like crazy, but I, I don't do it anymore. Cause I just, the amount of energy and, and myself that I'm going to have to put into being a decent illustrator is a mountain that's too high for me to climb. I'd rather put all my eggs in the, in the writing basket. Is it, um is it like a, a personal aspiration to be an author, illustrator and combo and be able to illustrate yourself? Do you want to do work for hire or is this an aspect of yourself that is, is as important as, as the writing piece?
0: It's, I think the second one you said (laughs) that I want to write and illustrate my own books. I have no desire to illustrate anybody else's. I just, you know, that, um, that play between words and images is so important. And I want to have that skill. I want to be able to write something and have the story tell the picture. You know, when we submit manuscripts, they, they always say, don't, don't, Put in art notes unless they're absolutely necessary, right? But a lot of times I have the art notes in my head, and um, uh, and it's just it's just something, especially because I like to write very minimally in a minimalistic style. That's the way I used to write. Um, I just I just and I just love I love um, I don't know. I kind of hate drawing. I've never been a drawer, but I love like paint working with paint and. I've always loved, you know, walking into an art room and that that feeling of just being able to create. It's it's just about creating, doing more types of creating, and I can't stop myself, even though I quit last week. <laughs> I don't know. So that's basically it. I want to be able to write and illustrate my own stories. Yeah.
1: There's a vision that you have that um, other other people can translate, but will never necessarily equal what you want for yourself so something to work towards for sure.
0: I guess so yeah but but on the other hand like when I see I you know when I see words and pictures work so brilliantly together I just aspire to do that you know and I know that um so some of my stories you know maybe somebody else would um just make it better than I I could ever that's that's what illustrators do, you know? They they bring a new a new vision to your story, which which um, is so awesome because you're putting it's it's just like being in the band. You're putting two two minds and you know for one concept, and I love that. So I I think there if I ever got to that point where I could do that, I think there are definitely some stories that I wouldn't want to illustrate of mine. But there are some that I do. And those are separate. I'm kind of developing different stories. Like none of the stories you've read, Brenna, would I want to illustrate. They're just mm. um, they're just different. yeah. They're more. Um, my stories that I'm illustrating are, are stories with very minimal text, ones that probably wouldn't get picked up on their own, you know because mm. if there's, you know under 50 words, I'd I'd have to tell somebody what the story is pretty much, you know,
1: a massive. art Yeah. Right. right.
0: Yeah. 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 It would be like all
2: art notes and like a couple of, a couple of words. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's interesting that you make the, um, the correlation between the band and then like the writer and illustrator because it is kind of like that. And I kind of wish there was more collaboration. I understand why they like to keep, you know, keep writers and illustrators apart because there might be like artistic differences and, all of that. But it seems like it might be really fun to collaborate with somebody on a book, you know, to actually like have like a back and forth about like, oh, well, I thought of this idea, like this could be cool in the background. Or like maybe the illustrator has an idea and they're like, I thought I'd, you know, put this in the background, but maybe you could hint at it in the text over here. Like it could be really fun, you know, to go back and forth like that. Like I understand why, you know, publishers don't want you to do that, but it could be. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that, that does sometimes happen. You know, that's why I really like, um, you know, I'm in an in-person group also. This is uh, my, my long-term group and who I've been meeting with for a few years now. And that the dynamic is really fun when you're meeting in person and you have that discussion. You know, like I do like um, email exchanges also because you get the notes there. You can refer back to them over and over again. But when you have a discussion with your critique members, you know, the ideas fly, you you start you start one idea and some people chime in. Well, what about this? What about that? You know, and somebody who has you know maybe more of a sense of humor than you do adds that, that a funny element to it. Somebody you know from a different culture might add another element to it, and and so there is a little bit of that, and that's why I like um, meeting on Zoom or meeting in person.
2: Yeah, that's true because the one. The couple of times that we met over Zoom for the critique, that was new to me. I'd only done email exchanges up until then. And so that was helpful, except for, of course, like if people are trying to talk at the same time and then there's like the delay and the lag or whatever. So in-person would be awesome because that would be, you know, just way easier to manage. But yeah, I I especially like doing that, too, because like you're saying with the, like with the band and you're in-person, like it happens like right there and then you leave with like this great idea as opposed to, you know, you send this thing out into the universe and you get it back like a week later and you're like, oh, shoot, like I already had, you know, 12 ideas and now I got to circle back and like this might work, but I'm not sure. Like I'll try to like wedge it in over here and it's kind of like, OK, but what did you actually mean like that or, or, you know, by what you said or I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of like back and forth that I feel like gets we miss a lot of the, the gems that could happen in person. Well, do you, do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you? Like if they want to follow you or if you've got, you know, for projects coming out or if we can plug anything or, you know,
0: news. Sure. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bookthreader. at book Threader is my handle and, mm-hmm. um, and my website, moniritchie.com you can subscribe and there's, I have uh, my whole path to publication, like I go through almost every year, and all of you know, I all, all of the stuff that's happened and um, the breaks that I took in between, you know, life changes that sort of thing. It's a more detailed account, so you can subscribe there. And okay, and awesome. I'll, I'll keep you posted about you know new, new projects that come come.
2: Yeah, out. please do. Well, we'll yeah, have we'll you on anytime it if you wanna. Yeah, if you wanna come yeah. on and promote it, that would be rad. Yeah, we'd love to do that.
1: That sounds great yeah Moni, because I because I'll regret it if I don't ask what's behind the the handle of book threader
0: okay, so that goes back to illustration too <laughs> so when I first um, created a a Twitter account I was I was frustrated by the fact that I couldn't illustrate and I didn't really have the time to pursue it at the time I was teaching full time and so so I started um making these kind of yarn books, you know, books out of, actually they weren't yarn, they were um, fabric, they were made out of um, t-shirt fabric. And I kind of weaved this t-shirt fabric and I made this, um, this book. So I, and I've done nothing with it, but I still love it. It's, it's, it's white. So I have it kind of tucked away and it's, (laughs) um, so it doesn't get dirty. And so I was just looking at the book, and I liked the word "book threader," and I didn't want to use my name at the time because I was, you know, shy and didn't want to be out there on social media. But it kind of stuck, and I kind of liked the the idea, of, you know, threading threading words into stories, and words into sentences, and sentences sentences into stories. And so I kept it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, super poetic. I love it. <laughs> well, we appreciate the time.
0: Thank you for having me. I really I really yeah. appreciate being here and having this conversation with you.
1: Episode 32 of You May Contribute a Verse has come to a starry end. Find Moni Ritchie Hadley at moniritchie.com. That's M-O-N-I-R-I-T-C-H-I-E.com. As she mentions, which I absolutely love as a social media handle, find her online as Book Threader and buy her book, The Star Festival, out now. As for Brenna and me, You May Contribute a Verse is a homespun production produced, edited, recorded, conceptualized, and marketed by Brenna Generette and Josh Munkin. Hit us up at verse.show and find the show and me on Twitter as Verse Show. That's V-E-R-S-E-S-H-O-W. Find Brenna on Twitter as at Brenna Jennerette and at BrennaGenerette.com. The artwork for You May Contribute a Verse is an amazing picture commissioned for the podcast from a very talented artist, Charlie Munkin, age eight. Love you, Charlie. The show's music is provided graciously by Robbie Zarr via tracks from his album, A Tragic But Happy Horse. Engage with his music and musings at partist.com. That's P-A-R-T-I-S-T.com. If you would be so kind, however you're listening to this, let us know what you think with a comment or a rate. It means a lot. And finally, remember the answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse.